another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, editor at the Security Ledger. Next week, the world's attention will turn to Las Vegas, Nevada, where two major hacking shows take place, Black Hat and DEF CON. Some of the world's leading security researchers will be gathering in Las Vegas to show off their stuff. And the security of smart appliances and devices for the home and automobile will be a major topic of conversation. With us this week in the studio, we have Nick Percoco, who is head of research at Spider Labs, the research arm of the security firm Trustwave. Nick says that consumers are eager to buy smart appliances for their home, but that they may not understand the security implications of connecting things like their refrigerator or their home thermostat or security system to the internet. Percoco says manufacturers have a duty to make their products more secure because consumers often lack the sophistication to understand the security implications of the devices that they're buying and deploying. Hi, I'm Nick Percoco from Trustwave. I'm the Senior Vice President and Head of Spider Labs. Nick, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great. Uh, so Black Hat briefings are coming up in uh, a, cu- a little bit more than a week out in Las Vegas. Uh, this is one of the big shows of the year, uh, particularly for vulnerabilities, exploits, attacks, and so on. Um, what First off, what will Trustwave and Spider Labs be doing out at Black Hat this year? The motivation behind the research there was to go in, out and purchase various um, consumer-grade devices. You know, devices you can pick up at, at a department store or electronic store, um, not necessarily technical um, computer devices or, you know, what most people would want to have if they were, you know, tinkering with things in their home, but, mo- but really what consumers would buy. So network connected devices. Many, many consumers may buy these devices and not really think much about it, um, but p- things like thermostats, door locks, lighting controlling systems, things that would be more at the consumer level are now um, becoming very accessible to consumers at our relatively you know low cost price in the you know 100 sub 100 level or even up to a couple hundred dollars where they can buy these devices and one of the first steps that they're asked to do is to connect it up to their internet connection in their home sure and we you see companies like Belkin for example coming out with a whole range of devices where you know you can plug uh, their IP-enabled device into a wall socket and then plug your lamp or lamps into that and and then basically uh, use a web-based interface to control the lighting in that room or, or, or something to that effect. Uh, th- those types of things are becoming quite common, and, and they're not that expensive. No, no, not at all. And so what, um, what David and, um, and Daniel did is they took all those devices, they brought them into the lab, and then started basically penetration testing them. So they basically looked at the web interfaces. They looked at how they communicated outbound um, up to their control systems. M- many of these actually, when you plug them into your home, they are not just localized. They'll then phone back up to some control server out there someplace that you will then use to um, that will you'll then use to connect up to like an iPhone app or an Android app, where you can then turn your lights on and off in your house without even having to be home. Like you would connect up to a cloud server someplace, and then that cloud server connects back down into your house. And so they started looking at the vulnerabilities in the devices themselves when they're sitting on the localized networks and found out that for the most part, um, I don't know that you know, their exact stats are going to present, um, but I believe it was you know, something around like 80% of the devices they tested um, had some serious vulnerabilities, either authentication flaws 
or or just issues with the the web components themselves. And so the real implication there is the devices um, once you're plugging those into your home, they 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 presume that you have a secure internet secure home network. And we know from from our experiences just testing corporate environments, many corporations don't even have secure wireless environments, um, let alone you know looking at consumers and making sure that they have secure networks. And that even goes a little further when you take something like a door lock. You know, you can wire up a, a you, know, you know, replace your deadbolt in your home with a Wi-Fi connected um, lock system that you have within your house, so that when, this way you could walk up to your house and on your iPhone hit unlock and the door unlocks. Well, if you have a weak network, weak you know, wireless network from a security standpoint in your house, um, as an attacker, all I have to do is drive up, park my car in front of your house, jump on your wireless network, and then unlock your doors. <laughs> And so, um, so, so those types of things are where I don't think many consumers are really looking at and thinking about when they go and they put these types of devices in their home because th- these aren't security-minded folks. These are people who are consumers that want to use that technology to make their lives easier, like the smart thermostats and the smart locks and the smart lighting systems. They're not thinking that by introducing one of those pieces of technology, they may n- now be introducing f- security flaws to, their, to other, other areas of their home as well. On one level, we've been hearing this for a while, for a few years anyway, right? Warnings about the pernicious spread of vulnerable software. So Barnaby Jack famously with the insulin pump and and obviously ATMs and and those types of devices. Do you think that this is going to a a more a different stage here as as these devices work their way into the home? No, I mean, I I think we're going down into like another layer. So when you're talking about you know, industrial control systems or ATMs or, or, or medical you know, equipment and things like that, um, that's at a level where the way those devices are designed should have um, security, a higher level of security controls in place. But when you're thinking about something like a Wi-Fi scale or lighting and, um, and, and cameras and thermostat controls, those companies um, that are manufacturing those devices are probably not taking the same approach to security. And so what we're finding out is these these companies who are pumping out these consumer products and, and basically you can walk around a you know a, a department store or electronic store and anything that basically you can use today likely has some internet connectivity or some sort of remote management capabilities um, as part of that package where five years ago you know very few and today you can go and buy a you know you can buy a, a Wi-Fi camera that's the size of a you know a deck of cards, and you basically you know stick it to the wall someplace, and it basically then streams video out of your house, and you can connect up to a cloud-based system and view it from any place on the planet. So there's there is a whole other level there, and when you have security flaws introduced there, you know I think you know the the worst case scenario is you f- you have this very progressive family that has internet cameras, they have Wi-Fi scales, and you know thermostats and locks, and they have all these things. They basically created the the, the ultimate smart home and and now you have something horribly go wrong, right? I mean, so obviously there could be some things that are annoyances, right? There's somebody could be turning their lights on and off and playing video on their screens when they don't want on their televisions. But then you have privacy things of, you know, you have people's weight or you have people's, um, you know, they have cameras in their homes that they're using for security purposes, but now being used for almost like 21st century, you know, peeping toms. Sure, right. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're watching you, right? You're not watching. They're, they're, they're being used to, to spy on you. Um, right, and the family has no idea that that's happening. Right, right. they just think 
they bought all this latest, greatest technology right. to make them feel more secure. And in fact, it introduced a security problem. And just today, uh, we're reading reports from the Wall Street Journal and others about uh, apparent vulnerability that existed in the Google Glass product, which is still very much in its early stages here, um, that would have made it vulnerable to a QR code-based attack. Um, we've seen these um, uh, demonstrated before, so it shouldn't probably be that surprising. I guess the difference is that, you know, with wearable computing like glass, you're going to experience that um, in in real time and sort of right, right in front of, it's going to interrupt your field of vision, right? It's going to interrupt your experience of the world. And I guess maybe that, is that what's new with, with what we're hearing about Google Glass? Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, Google Glass is probably the, one of the best examples of um, of wearable computing um, in, in that sort of form factor, um, making it into the mainstream. Now, obviously, there's only several, there's only you know a handful of thousands of people who actually own them today. And in fact, actually, just like five minutes before we were chatting, um, one of our Spider Labs team members, um, Matt Jakubowski, um, he goes by Jaku, actually was in my office with his with his Google Glass on, um, and he was um, he, he literally just got it last week and was um, was playing around with it. Um, so, yeah, so you know, we're obviously going to be taking a closer look at that. But when you think about wearable computing, um, Any, anything to report yet, Nick? Nothing yet. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do know he was able to get get it to install some some rogue apps and things. Um, oh, so great. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think we're going to keep playing around with that and, um, and see what we can do. But I mean, if, when you think of, you know, just, just, we could just talk about Google Glass. Um, when you think about it getting into the hands of, you know, the general population and when the 2.0 version comes out and it's more advanced, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm an attacker and I want to go after somebody's personal life, I want to understand what they're doing, who, what, they're, you know, what they're thinking, what they're, you know, everything that they're, they're going about in their lives, um, and, I'm a, and I want to target, say, a high-profile individual – well, Google Glass is my is my perfect mechanism. You know, if you think think about ways that you can spy on somebody, where they're at, what they're doing, um, who they're talking to, what they're you know, even maybe what they're looking up information while they're sitting in a in a meeting, if they're if they're browsing the internet or looking up you know looking up information. If you want to get insight into what that is, you know, devise some method of being able to attack someone's wearable computing, such as something like Google Glass. Well, in fact, and and to be able to see what they see, right? I mean, because right. you could activate the camera, and basically, you're you're perched over their eyebrow, basically seeing whatever it is that they are seeing. So, yeah, I guess the interesting thing to me reading about that wasn't the attack itself, because again, th th there's nothing particularly surprising about that 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 there that you could blue screen a, a pair of Google glasses using a QR code or or use it to to um, perhaps install something malicious, right? But sort of the, and this strikes me as where things are going, right? So, you know, 10 years ago, if there was a problem, a malfunction in some technology you used, you, you might have gotten the blue screen of death and you sort of sat there at your desk and twiddled your thumbs while, you know, the IT group came to fix it, right? It was a productivity hit, but it, it wasn't something that you experienced sort of in the, in the immediacy that you will if, you know, you're using technology that sort of is intermediating your experience of the world, and then that technology fails or is compromised or misbehaves in some way. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, I could, I could imagine, you know, the category that Glass is part of having the capabilities of really being sort of the second, um, almost like your assistant, right? So you imagine if you, you know, you're wearing these, you're in this device, and you're now giving a presentation in front of a crowd of people, and your speaker notes. Or in the augmented reality screen that you're seeing in front of you, right? And something goes horribly wrong. Someone hacks it and starts putting other words up there, or whatever, <laughs> right? So it's like a teleprompter. 
Um, you know, the person starts saying, you know, and you start reading it and you're like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't my speech. <laughs> it's right? like a sitcom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that type of thing or even, you know, maybe you're utilizing it to help you navigate some complex task. You know, it's able to do image recognition and it helps you do something, you know, like you're you're you're, cha- you're, you're working on a car engine or you're doing some even critical you know, critical activity and um, someone, you know, so there's some problem with that, not not just a flaw or a malfunction, but someone maliciously injects something else into that process where you're getting instructions on how to rewire something. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it, it's different as if you're looking it up on the internet and you're, you're piecing through things. This is real time, right? This is where this technology is going to invade our lives where we'll be not just glancing down at our phones and, and checking email and things. We're going to be living it. Right. Every moment of your life, you're going to have, you know, Twitter updates and news feeds and, and emails and things in front of your face. Right. OK. Final question. Uh, obviously, there was some news this year with uh, Jeff Moss saying uh, to, you know, the, the feds, you know, don't bother coming to DEFCON this year after, you know, a decade or more in which it seems like the, the ties between the government and the hacking community were, were becoming s- stronger and more complex also. What what are your thoughts on that, and um, what do you think the response is going to be? Well, I, I, I don't know how much of an impact um, it actually will make, because I do know a lot of folks in the, in the federal government, and most of them who went last year are actually not going this year, not because of um, Jeff, Jeff Moss's blog post. But mostly because they didn't have any budget this year. Yeah, it's a sequester, right? <laughs> sequester. So they, I mean, literally, you know, I've, you know, there's handfuls of people that you know that I typically will see that work in the government, and they're all none of them are going. So I don't. So I think you know, I think it was more of the statement of you know the, the hacking community has seen a lot of this activity going on, and there always has been the sort of the spot the Fed type activities, anyways, that have been going on at, at, at DEFCON. I mean, I've been going to DEFCON for a number of years. I think DEFCON eight was my first year. Um, and almost every year I've been in one of the sessions where there's been a spot the Fed that's gone on. And that's always been more from a playful thing. Part of me says if I was the conference organizer um, and I knew there was sort of this, you know, hostile activities that hostile, you know, focuses that may be going at people who are or, you know, work for the federal government. Maybe they work for the NSA. Maybe they work for, for DOD and sort of combined with the with the playfulness in the past of sort of spot the Fed. My mind would be, well, maybe that game may not be so playful this year. Um, with, with certain with certain attendees, and so uh, maybe that's more of a disclaimer out there saying, "Hey, you may not want to attend this year. Um, sort of, you know, give, take a break um, to really avoid any conflicts that may 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 occur when when those type two groups sort of combine." Sort of, you've been, you've been warned in some ways. Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to speak with the Security Ledger. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you out in Las Vegas. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Great. Nick Prococo is the senior vice president of Spider Labs at the security firm Trustwave. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.